You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Hello, guys. Hello. I'm, I'm Jamie, for those who don't know me, and today we're going to be starting a new series Ooh, in Nehemiah. So I'll be reading from Nehemiah chapter 1 today. It starts, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that is praying, being prayed before you today and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Jamie. So good to see you all here this morning. And uh, as Jamie said, we're starting a new series, uh, looking at this wonderful book, the book of Nehemiah. And we've called the series uh, Restore and Rebuild. Restore and Rebuild. And this will take us up to, to Christmas. And uh, today we're going to be starting with some introductory thoughts about this amazing book. So we'll, we'll be um, digging more into chapter one next week. But we're just going to really uh, set this up and introduce um, this book. Now, when we study the Bible, I think it's really important to think about um, a number of layers for how to tackle Scripture and how to grow as we read the Bible. Um, The Bible is so precious. It is so powerful. Uh, When the Queen uh, was handed all those years ago, a coronation, uh, the Bible, it was said it's the most valuable thing that this world affords. And so, you know, the first thing about reading the Bible is, is to have a humble heart. It's to recognize, um, I, I was just reminiscing on a story of Billy Graham, who um, him and his best friend, it was Charles Templeton, who became a famous atheist, Billy Graham, of course, went on to be an incredible um, evangelist, is that when um, his friend, his best friend, was challenging him on the truth of Scripture, he went for a walk and laid this book 
He was on a tree stump and got down on his knees and said, as long as I live, I will never, ever, ever doubt this word. And you look at the legacy of these two men in comparison. It's extraordinary. And, and, and so we've got to have prayerful, humble hearts. And the Bible isn't just about reading the text on the page, but it's about getting to know the author. And that's the most important thing. That's the heart we must have. I want to encourage you in your devotions and your quiet times to actually have the practice of getting on your knees before God, to open God's word up and say, Lord, speak to me. This is the highest truth in a, a pluralistic, relativistic world. This is the highest truth that we have, is the word of God. And when we come to study the Bible, I think it's really, really important that we understand and grasp the big story. This book, the book of Nehemiah, sits in a bigger story. The Holy Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. If you read the Old Testament, it's always pointing forward to Jesus. And we must always um, look at, at the history, yes, but in terms of the Bible, what is the big, grand gospel story. So let me start off. This is something you might expect in week five, week six, week seven of this series. But let me start off by giving you a secret. The book of Nehemiah doesn't end brilliantly. Okay, it's actually a bit of an anticlimax. In fact, there's lots of anticlimaxes running throughout the whole book of Nehemiah. Have you ever watched a film or a TV series which you're really into and then it comes to the end and you are so disappointed? Who here watched the line of duty ending? <laughs> I was depressed for weeks. It's like, come on, I've invested emotionally, mentally into this series, and now you give me that. And apologize to all those who never watched it. Uh, just don't watch the end. And um, it's amazing that as you read the book of Nehemiah, though there's some wonderful things which you're going to touch on, is you realize actually... It, Social reform, political reform, isn't the need of the hour or the need of the day. But actually, it's about transformation of the human heart. And Nehemiah uh, really proves that um, Jeremiah was right and Ezekiel was right, that actually there's going to come a day where God will turn that heart of stone into a heart of flesh and put a new spirit in you. And the real difference that we can see in this world, where we're going to see real transformation of our lives and of our city comes when hearts are changed and transformed. That we must be born again. That we must have that moment, that encounter with the living God who changes us from the inside out. We're born again and he regenerates us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're brand new so we don't look at tablets of stone anymore. We don't try and live our lives by rules and regulations, but transformation comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so Nehemiah actually shows up this. You want to see real reform and real change. It comes when God changes our hearts and gives us a new heart. Then you have the story itself, and we've got to understand it's called the exegesis, the, the context, the history, the circumstances. We enter into the shoes of the characters and the story, and we begin to imagine what was their world like, what was their context, what was their challenges as we begin to 
look at this book. So we're looking at the grand story, looking at the, the story within the grand story. And then, of course, we want to ask the question. This is when we ask humbly again, Lord, what does this book, what does this story, what is it saying to us corporately? What is it saying to us personally? What is it saying maybe prophetically? I've been sat on thinking about doing this book for a long time. So why now? Why, what might God be saying to us in this moment prophetically as we read the book of Nehemiah? So I want to set the scene to begin with. So I want to locate the story, the GPS, if you will. Uh, this book is actually in its origins meant to be read as one alongside Ezra. So Ezra and Nehemiah meant to be read as one. And the story is set after the Babylonians. They destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple, destroy the walls, and they're driven out and they live in exile. And so this city, Jerusalem, is in ruins. It's destroyed. And then they go there later and seek to rebuild the city and the lives of the people who are there. And there are three key leaders in this. And, and you read this through Ezra and you read this through Nehemiah, those two, these two books. And these three key leaders, they, they lead three deportations of God's people. So the first guy, the first leader is a guy called Zerubbabel. Everyone say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Okay, got your teeth in today. And he focuses on rebuilding the temple. Rebuilding the temple. A stunning temple that Solomon built, and uh, which was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And we looked at King Nebuchadnezzar when we did our series, and you catch us on our podcast when we looked at our series on Daniel. And then you have another key leader, Ezra. And Ezra focuses on teaching the Torah and focuses on rebuilding the community. And then steps in Nehemiah. Nehemiah's focus is he wants to lead the people in rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the walls. And this is all happening roughly about 500 year, uh, years before Jesus Christ comes. And so Nehemiah, this guy, uh, he is a, he's a Persian. He's an Israelite serving in the Persian government. Uh, and when he hears about the ruined state of Jerusalem's walls, he, he prays, he's concerned, and he gets permission to go and rebuild the walls of this city that lay in ruins. And we see here in this opening scene, he's set in the city of Susa, which is in, in, in Persia. And this area is known for palaces, these, these beautiful, opulent palaces where um, royalty would go and stay uh, in the winter months. And Nehemiah is about, in modern-day Iran, is about a 1,000 miles away uh, from Jerusalem. So imagine the top of Scotland, that's where he is in this beautiful palace doing his everyday work, and his heart is for this place. It's right down at the bottom of England, about a 1,000 miles away, and wants to see these walls rebuilt. And when he hears that Jerusalem has no walls or no gates. You might think, well, what, what's the big deal about that? But it had been in those days, of course, a, a city without walls was primarily unprotected. There was an open door there for attack at any time. So, of course, this, it was, gave people huge concern, huge anxiety and worry that they were left exposed. So the big headline 
Why have we called it Restore and Rebuild? Is I think this is a really fitting prophetic book which is apt for the times that we live in. Where there are ruins right now in, in our lives, the church, in our nation, in the world, where there is rubble, where there is brokenness, I believe God, by his spirit, is calling us to rebuild and restore. To rebuild and restore. And there's a couple of layers to this. I, I think we must, as we read this, have a couple of things in mind as a backdrop. First of all, our city, let's just take the city of Hull, our culture, the brokenness that exists. Joni and I and uh, a couple of the kids were uh, just around town, um, the city centre, a few weeks ago. I, I tend to go regularly, I was there again this weekend, but I don't know what it was a few weeks ago, I just was walking through and my heart ached. I don't know if you've experienced that as you've walked around maybe your neighborhood or the city that you're, that you're in, and my heart just ached. And I, I turned to Joni and I said, we've got to be doing more. We must be doing more to reach these people. You could just sense that life was happening to people and they were being wounded and scarred by it. Through poverty, injustice, brokenness, just what we've experienced the harsh realities of life the last few years, you could see was, it's almost aging people. You could see the young people were lost. So I said, we must do something more. And part of this series is where we will look at that. So we're gonna think about our city, but I want us to think about us as a church, which is almost like a city within a city. Our church is a kingdom outpost. And where we've experienced loss, where we've experienced brokenness and the rubble of life, what God may be saying to us. And I think in that, God wants to rebuild his church into the future. So part of this next couple of months is really a reflection of where I sense God is taking the church into the future. What does a future church look like in a post-pandemic era? Because I really believe that we need to build differently than where we built before. A lot of people think that what happened with the pandemic is the cause of many things that we see now, but I'm not sure that it is. I think all that COVID did was expose what was already there. That actually our foundations are not right. That when pressure comes and problems come and trials come, that often we see that our foundations and our priorities aren't in the right place or the right order. I firmly believe that Jesus is bringing us back to himself. That Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He needs to be at the center. And I think much of what we built on before was things that may have been important, but they're not central, crucial, primary. And of course, the primary point of this book isn't about a building project, it's about a people. It's about a revival, it's about a spiritual renewal, it's about an awakening to a world around us. It's about rebuilding, not just gates and walls, but rebuilding people. So I always find you today, do you feel like your life needs a bit of a rebuild? Like a bit of DIY is required? 
I really believe God wants to minister in this series to you. And that's what I'm praying for in this season. There's no doubt about it, the last few years has left all of us feeling maybe emotionally, physically, uh, maybe we're feeling right now the pressure financially, where we're surrounded by rubble. We've lost loved ones in this season. I was thinking that really it's like 10, 15 years of life all happened into two or three. And it's, it's really tearing on our souls and on our hearts. And we have, to be, we have to be real about the rubble that exists. That's what God's looking for, just be vulnerable about maybe some of the brokenness that exists in our lives. We've lost loved ones, we've lost jobs, we've lost community life, friendships. And many have slipped into maybe old or new addictions. There's an increase in doubt, there's a fragility. And I almost think, and it's very subtle this, there's almost been a, a spiritual COVID where people haven't necessarily lost their faith in God, although many have, but they've actually lost their spiritual taste and smell. They've lost that hunger and that desire for Jesus because just life's happened and it's just wearing us down. I want to give you a few modern day parables just as a way of illustration from my family's recent holiday to France. And we were really blessed, we were given this holiday by some dear friends of ours. And a, few, a number of things happened. And I, as I was thinking about it, I felt like God was saying these, these act as modern day parables to people's conditions in their hearts right now. The first thing was is we went to France in the middle of the heat wave. Does anyone remember the heat wave? I mean, I looked on my BBC app, and it, even Barnsley was 31 degrees. I don't think they've experienced anything like that. And, um, and so we were touching on nearly 40 in France. And uh, day one, we arrived, we pull up, and our aircon went on the car. And I'm like, come on, throw me a bone. And, uh, and so the, the aircon went. But I, I was thinking about um, and, and what, what that heat wave did, wasn't it? It makes you just lethargic, apathetic. Almost like, I, I don't have any energy to do anything. I don't even have energy to eat. I just, give me a big glass of ice water and let me just sit in front of a fan. And it's almost like the, the circumstances of life that maybe, like with us, was with the, the, just the natural weather, but also with the car. The natural circumstances of life left us feeling lethargic, left us feeling apathetic. And maybe just the circumstances and the issues of life have actually taken its toll upon us and made us just lose that sense of passion and tenacity that we used to have, that fervor that we used to have for the Lord. The second embarrassing thing was, is that it's the first time ever I had to, because we have four kids, uh, we've got a 14-year-old Ford Galaxy, and I had to put a roof box on uh, to take everybody's uh, teddy bears and stuff. And um, that was just my wife's. And... <laughs> We went to this major city and went to an underground car park. And as we're going under there, I realize as I'm at the ticket machine in the car that my roof box will stop me going in the car park. It was horrendous. And there's a huge queue. We're in the city center backing up. And I just, I, I just wanted to die. So all the kids, they're ducking down. Joni <laughs> doesn't need to duck down, but she's, she's low. And then I, I, where is she, by the way? 
And then I'm ducking down, and we had to do a 20-point turn. And it just made me think again about some of our... Hebrews 12 talks about this, doesn't it? Some of our baggage, some of our unnecessary burdens and weights have just been sitting on us. So we can't progress through to maybe what God has for us. Maybe it's our own baggage that's stopping us going to what we know, and this is one of the most frustrating things about the Christian life, is that we know what this life is supposed to maybe feel like with God, and yet the experience that I now feel is like a distance. It's like a huge chasm from what we know and what we experience. That causes disappointment. We'd also, as we planned to go, uh, our, our youngest son, George's passport didn't come. So another issue. And uh, contacted the council, the MP, it was just an absolute nightmare. And we all, all this holiday set, and yet we didn't have George's passport. And eventually it came, just we had to delay the holiday, and eventually it came. But it made me think about we've seen um, delay as the same way as we've seen denial. Maybe a delay of something, a delay of a promise, a delay of hope or expectation is actually we've seen it as failure, we've seen it as failure is terminal, that this is my life, and actually what it's brought is a real discouragement. I sense that some of you in this church are discouraged, and you've allowed disappointment, you had a set appointment, you felt with something, and it's not arrived, so you're disappointed. And thankfully, you know, what I saw, I I started to say, look, we're not gonna talk about the holiday, it's not gonna happen, you know, woe is us. And then, of course, it came. And so a denial doesn't necessarily always mean it's terminal, but actually it's just a delay for maybe for us to learn some things. And then finally, we're in one of the French markets, and um, Joni wanted some nougat. She'd had a little bit of this nougat, and so I said, all right, we'll go get some, went and got some. And he he took just a little bit of this nougat off this big block and said, that'll be 60 euros which is 60 pounds. And I looked at her and I said, no. <laughs> 60 pounds for some nougat in Bridlington. You get three packs of nougat for about three quid. Some of you haven't been to Bridlington need to go and experience that. And um, I did not value that new guard, neither journey, none of us valued that new guard enough to pay 60 pounds. So of course, we had to walk away. And I want to compare that to one evening when uh, I lost my, uh, three of my children in a church one evening, and the warden locked the church, and I didn't know where Joni had gone. She'd gone off somewhere. I was outside, and he'd locked the church with my kids in late at night. And I was freaking out. And I started banging on the door of this church, you know, um, just despairing. And eventually, uh, the warden who was still in there actually came and opened up and the kids came out. And it made me think about how we look at value of things. I didn't value the new guy enough to, that it would cost me, but I value my kids that I was going insane. When you value something, like Jesus, when you value his church, when you value lost people, you can't be apathetic about these things. You can't treat it like 60 pound nougat. 
There's something within you where you just go, I've got to do something about this. I don't care how stupid I look. I don't care that people are sat outside in the restaurants looking at me, banging down this beautiful old church in this little sleepy village. You just lose all sense of fear and inhibitions because you must reach people. That's what it's like with the gospel. Is when you recognize that there are people who are lost, separate from God, you start to forget about that fear of rejection. You start to forget about um, looking stupid. I remember actually with the passport thing, I spoke to a bunch of my friends who are not Christians. And when I mean not Christians, they're way on the other side of the spectrum, not even looking. And I said, pray for me. Pray for the passport. And it kept, it, we got a call the very next day. So I was able to tell them all, so you, your prayers worked. Now, I don't know how theological that is. <laughs> uh, but they were thrilled. And so, you know, again, you'll do anything when there's um, an emergency. And so, just to summarize, maybe you find yourself in this season where you need rebuilding, restoring, a lack of spiritual fervor. Maybe it's the weight and baggage that's holding you back. Maybe it's disappointment that are saying. Maybe what you value, what's important, is actually being tested in this season. What's, the Lord's allowing some testing in your life. And I'd best sum up this season we find ourselves, actually what we've, I think we've sensed and felt this week with the death of the queen is essentially a loss. There's been a real loss for people. And maybe we've exhausted our own methods and our own way of doing things. And what God wants to do in light of the resurrection, in light of resurrection power and the risen Christ, which that makes all the difference, can I say, is he wants to bring a rebuilding. He wants to bring a restoring. But we must build differently to go into the future. I believe the character of Nehemiah prophetically represents the kind of people God wants to raise up in this hour. God is looking for Nehemiahs in Hull and beyond. He's looking for Nehemiahs because Nehemiah in many respects is just a regular guy. He's not a king, but his work is crucial. He's the cupbearer to the king. So he's serving the current institution and he's testing the king's drink for poison first, which is quite a job, isn't it? I think some of you must feel like that when you test the poison of some of your bosses at work. And so he's just a regular guy, just, just, but he, he was trustworthy because he, I'm sure he would have overheard many secrets being told. And so he was seen as this regular guy who had his job, who was trustworthy. He, he's not a prophet, but he speaks and acts in a way as though you may think that he was. He, he does not belong to the official priesthood, yet he supports them with enthusiasm and he kind of manifests the characteristics that we see in priests in the Bible. So Nehemiah, he's like this trusted wine steward in a pagan place and he becomes God's instrument for Israel's renewal. And I think that's us. I think gone are the days where it's about special Christians, just a few of them on a stage, on a platform, 
thinking they've got it all together. I think one of the things that God has done, he's, he's demolished platforms in the last few years. The people have set themselves up as more than they should be. Regular people doing regular things, that is us. And, and, and he wants to use you and I just where we go, wherever we do life, to help bring restoration, to help bring a rebuilding. We need to recognize we're just, we're wounded healers, we're just fellow beggars helping other beggars where to find bread. And, and we stumble seamlessly from our everyday story into the grand story of God. This is how the kingdom expands. We just stumble every single day from regular life into the kingdom of God and the grand story. I believe this is the kind of people that God is looking for. Nehemiah was someone who who experienced extraordinary change, like we are now, vocationally, geographically, culturally, socially, and yet he navigates these changes, how? By holding on to truth, holding on to the truths about God. He navigated his own personal story, his own personal war, by holding on to convictions that we will look at over the next few weeks. He was confronted every day with tension between life's alternatives, which we are right now. Is it God or is it self? Is it holiness or is it sin? Is it love or indifference? Is it courage or fear? Is it generosity or greed? And his compassionate concern, his prayerfulness, his moral integrity, resilient faith. Aren't these all the things that people have been talking about the Queen this week? Everybody's been talking about someone who ran their race well, who finished well. Faithfulness is underrated, but actually, even to the world, this is something that they're really looking for. Christians who are faithful, who are consistent day in, day out. And we'll see this character of Nehemiah and all that he was and lent into, including his weaknesses, over the coming weeks. So let me just finish with this. I want to finish with a, a picture. Um, it's the last, last slide. This is of a, a desert in the, let me just try and pronounce it right, the Namaqualand, is that right? Probably not. That's right. Uh, in South Africa. And... Um, all year, it's, it's, it's nothing but sand, looks like this. And then once a year, when the rain falls, look at this, what happens? That's in a desert. And it's just this kind of color explosion. It's absolutely beautiful. And of course, that's responsive, of course, to the rain, but also to the seeds that have been sown. And I really believe this is a prophetic picture in terms of restoration and rebuilding that God wants to say to us. It may feel like it's been or it is a desert. It may feel like it is empty, that you maybe you're far away from God, that things aren't working out how you thought. But actually, when the spring rains come, that's what happens. And life, in all its abundance, starts to come to us in an extraordinary way. Ways. And so I want to encourage you and I want you to hold on 
to that prophetic picture, this idea of restoring and rebuilding, as we look through the book of Nehemiah, that I believe under the surface, in the desert places of our lives right now, is that. It may not look like you thought it would look, but it's all about being in the purpose of God. And when we're in the bullseye, the center of God's will, that is where we're actually the most at peace the most happy, the most contented when we're in his perfect will. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And to stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.